Hey there. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is put out into the world by Living Water Community Church, located in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I'm Pastor Clark Cothern. If you'd like to know more about Living Water, or if you'd like to drop us a note, or if you've got a question, or if you'd like to have us pray for you, head on over to lw-cc.org. Now, let's join today's podcast in progress. Today, we're going to talk about purpose. Seven big questions. This is the first question. Does life have a purpose? Anybody happen to know what this might be? There are three of you in this room that I know of who might have a clue because you're very handy that way. Most of the rest of us probably don't. Yes, I saw those hands. Thank you very much. I I bring this up because this polar vortex week has shown us evidence that there have been a lot of people who had difficulty with their furnaces. And uh, I know one guy had to replace a blower motor and uh, woke up to, what was the temperature in your house when you woke up? 46 degrees. It's a lot warmer in here right now than that. So I'm grateful that you got that fixed. And I'm grateful for other church members who stepped in to deliver some uh, space heaters to help keep you from going completely under because your coffee would have frozen if that would have been the case. But this is something that was starting to go bad uh, in a slight way. On our furnace this week, our furnace was doing something strange because it would kick on but only stay on for about five seconds and it would shut itself back off again. So that means that it was starting to get colder and colder. And I said, that's not quite right. But we got through the polar vortex difficult days before we actually had to get something done about that. This is actually called a flame sensor, according to the guy that fixed it. Is that right? Okay, good. I want to check with the guy that knows. And he said that what happens is that when it's working so hard, there's some carbon emissions that get there, a little carbon dust, and it became dirty, which means it can't sense. And if it's a sensor, it needs to sense. Now, the guy who came out that, how did he know that? Well, he knew that because the guy who designed it knows the function. He knows the purpose of this part. But he didn't talk to the man who designed it. However, fortunately for him, there was this thing called the owner's manual. And this owner's manual has information written or at least instructed by the designer for somebody else to write so that if you read the owner's manual, you can find out what the designer had in mind, how it's supposed to be installed, and its function. And so he cleaned it off, made it like new again. Can you see where this is all going? (laughs) Pretty neat analogy. And all of a sudden, it's fulfilling its purpose, and we're warm again. The furnace started working perfectly for that. Now, there are a lot of voices in our world today trying to tell us how we can find our purpose. Some are kind of wacky. There's a new age movement with folks out there that are saying, you know, there's a light inside of each of us. And all you have to do is find that light, tap into that light, and follow that light into your purpose. No, that's not what the Bible says. And that's not what I believe is the way to find purpose. Other people will say, you are going to become your own little God someday. No, I don't believe that's the, the way to find your purpose either. Some people will say, follow your heart. There are a lot of songs today that will talk about following your heart. Just do what makes you happy because you have a right to pursue your happiness. And if you'll recall, and if you want to look back a few weeks ago, it's on YouTube, our YouTube channel. You can go to Living Water and then uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan. You can find our YouTube channel if you don't subscribe to it already. Please subscribe to it. There's some good messages in there. (laughs) There was a message about how do you find happiness anyway? 
is one of our topical messages. It came from one of our psalms. And I likened that to a mirage. It's like when you're driving out west on a hot summer day and you can see that thing way out there. It looks like it's about 20 miles ahead of you. And it looks like there's something in the distance. And the harder you go after it, the more it dissipates because it's just a mirage. And that's what happens. The harder you go after happiness, the more it dissipates because that's not what brings you happiness. So where can we find something that would let us know how we can find true purpose in life? Well, we kind of have to go to the owner's manual. What's the owner's manual for us? Well, God's word is that. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. So says the owner's manual, Ephesians 1.11. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. How long ago was that, according to this passage? Long, long time ago, even before we first heard about him. Who had designs on us? God did. Christ, because Christ is the same as God. And what is he working out in us? His purposes. That's where we go to find real purpose. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. So how many things got started in him? Everything. So how long will this part last, do you think? Rob, you're the HVAC guy. Five to ten ten years. All right. How long do you think that we will last? That's, That's a good question. And it was a trick question because... Part of us, our earthly tents, won't last very long. You know, maybe we get that uh, three score and ten. Maybe we get 70 years. That'd be great. My father lived to be 79. I have a great-grandfather that lived to be 100. Longevity. I don't much think I'm going to be that much because, you know, I'm in a high-stress profession. (laughs) But we don't last that long. We're not going to last, you know, most of us won't last 100 years. And yet... There's a part of us that God's designed to last forever, and that's the good news. That's going to last a whole lot longer than that flame sensor. We're going to last forever. And so what we want to do is find the purpose in our life that will last as long as God intends for us to last. So why, some people would ask this. This is a good conversation to have with folks. They'll say, well, why didn't God just put us in heaven to start with? How come we have to go through all this rigmarole on earth and go through all the stuff we have to go through here, the pain and the turmoil and stuff. Why didn't he just send us straight to heaven? Well, I got a reason for you. Because this life is preparation for eternity. That's why this book, the owner's manual, is called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. (laughs) I like that acrostic. I didn't come up with it. I thought it was clever, and I think it's probably true. Basic Instructions, it's the owner's manual. If you want to check in to find out How was I designed and why was I designed the way I am? What is my shape for? And we talked about that. We had that shape series just the last four weeks. Then you check in with the owner's manual because he's the guy who designed us and we ought to be able to find what our true purpose is by looking at that owner's manual. Fact number one, we're going to give you five facts which lead us to five purposes today, which means I'm going to run through them because normally I have three points, I have five today. So keep up. Here we go. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, I believe it. Fact number one, God planned me for his pleasure. He didn't have to have us. He could have been completely self-satisfied just as he was, but he planned to have a family, and he wanted to create people that he could enjoy. Some of the best times I could recall 
or being with my kids, just sitting around being fun together. Especially now that they're old enough that we don't have to change the diapers and we don't have to chase them around. You know, there comes a, and I know that that's a precious time too, but when they're really young, they're really precious and they're angelic when they're asleep. Can I get an amen, moms? So when your child is being a bladdle all day, you can still creep in there after they've fallen asleep and you can peek into that little crib and you can go, oh, they're so precious when they're like that. And then they grow up. Our kids are so much fun to have around. It's like a little sitcom in our living room. I just sit back and just take it all in. And I think that probably when there's such true communion going on relationally, that that's what God had in mind when he created us. When we have true communion and we can just being in his presence brings us joy. It brings him joy too. We were planned for his pleasure. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had who in mind? Us. You and me. He had us in mind long before he even created the world. He'd settled on us as the what? Yes, the focus of his love. If you have an actual Bible and if you're a circler, I would circle that term focus. It's hard for me to even fathom a God that would focus his love on me that way. What an incredible thing to think about. So my number one purpose that grows out of that first fact that God created us for his pleasure is we need to know and love God. That's our purpose, to know and love God. And a lot of people don't, unfortunately. Now, our number one purpose, another way to word that with a biblical word would be worship. That's what it means to know and love something. If you know something and love it really well, you worship it, which means worthship. You establish worth and elevate that above other things. It becomes a priority for you. So as we know and love God and we're practicing knowing and loving him, we're establishing him as a priority in our life. That's part of worship. Some people have missed, unfortunately, the most important thing in life. They don't know God. So says Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy. So, first fact, God planned me for his pleasure. Second fact, God formed me for his family. His, God's unchanging plan, has always been to adopt us into his own family. Isn't that something? To think that the God who created the whole universe had planned, even before he created the world, to adopt us into his family. He wanted us to be a part of his great big family. He did that by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. We can't get there any other way. Jesus is the only way. And the Bible makes that clear. God has given us the privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's own family, which is called the church. There are two different kinds of births. I've talked about this in times past, but not real recently. First of all, there's this human family birth. Now, we don't get to choose that. You know, I think that my sister probably argued with my parents about having a little baby brother because I could be a pain sometimes. But she couldn't choose that. And I couldn't choose to be born into another family as much as we might wish that we could have. We could tell our parents, I sure wish I'd been born into another family. It's not going to help. We don't have any choice in that matter. We're born into a family, and then whether we're born into a biological family or whether we're adopted, we really have no choice in those kinds of decisions. So that's the human family. But in God's family, we do have a choice. God, who loves us enough, wants us to choose him, but because of his love for us, he gives us free will. And so he won't force us into a family that we choose not to be a part of. And a lot of people, unfortunately, have chosen to opt out. And God's desire is that all the people on earth would say, I recognize that he's a God who loves me. 
I want to turn to him. I want to choose to accept this wonderful grace that he so graciously gives to me. I want to be adopted into his family. That's what I would hope. I would hope that everybody would do that, but we can see that clearly that's not the case always. That family that we're talking about here, God's family, is called the church, the church of the living God, also in 1 Timothy there. So when we think about the church, we're thinking about that as God's family. I mentioned in in my little welcome that there are people all around the globe doing what we're doing right now, listening to the apostles, teaching, breaking bread together, praying together, uh, supporting one another, sharing the good news with people that they know, ministering to each other practically. Those are all these purposes that God gives the church to do. And we're just one little tiny section of that all-encompassing family that God brings us into. So the outgrowth of fact number two, if we're supposed to be in God's family, is that we need to learn to love each other. Now, fortunately for me, God puts me in a church family in which everybody is so lovable that I never have to work at it. You all are just so perfect all the time that it's just easy to love you. There are some pastors that might not have that privilege. What would it be like if we tried to find a church family in which everybody was just as cool as we are? Do you think we'll ever find a church quite like that? Honestly, eh, probably not. And yet, how is God going to place us in some family where we're going to learn patience? Well, we're going to have to rub up against some people that kind of try our patience at times. He's going to put us in situations with other people that are a little bit different than we are so that we can learn to practice those fruits of the Spirit that He's building into our character. And so that's where we do this. This is our crucible. This is where He places us so that we can learn to love each other. Then we can love people outside the church a little easier as well. Love your spiritual family, the Bible tells us. Our number two purpose growing out of that is called fellowship. I think there's this all-encompassing Greek word that's deeper than that, that's called koinonia, that goes a lot deeper than just fellowship. We don't think of punching cookies, you know, that's just not fellowship. This is a deep connection with people in which there's agape love, and we're sharing freely and openly, and we're caring for each other. That's what we have a lot of, gratefully, in this church, a lot of fellowship. My dad took a church, I mentioned this before, when I was in junior high, way out uh, in the armpit of Arizona, Arlington, little desert town, there weren't a lot of people out there. I thought it was silly for him to drive a full hour from where we lived just so he could go out and preach for this tiny, itty-bitty little church. But Dad knew something I didn't. Those people needed a shepherd, and he was the shepherd, but God was teaching my sister and I about what it means to love people, even people who might be a little different than we are. And there were a couple of those people that if you could chart that character arc like you see in a good show... There were some people that I thought, oh my goodness, how is my dad going to have patience for this person? There's one lady named Lucille. She's in heaven now, by God's grace. She was not easy to get along with. Lucille was an EGR, extra grace required. And dad expended a lot of extra grace on Lucille. Lucille would call and have these 30, 40, 50-minute conversations right at supper time. Sometimes the phone would ring. My dad would start to reach for it. My mom would be going, no. Hello? Oh, it's Lucille. Mom would go, So we knew he was not going to get a hot meal that night because he was talking with Lucille. But you know what? Lucille taught me what a real transformation can look like over time. And she became one of the most loving, dear, grace-filled people over the eight years that my dad dealt with Lucille. 
And we loved Lucille. Our whole church loved Lucille. And we took care of her, and she eventually learned how to start taking care of other people too. That's what happens when God places us in a family. There's some of those family members. You know, we've all got that one uncle. (laughs) Everybody's got that one uncle in their family. Well, even in church families, there's always going to be that one uncle, you know. But that's okay because God is trying to warm us up to the fact that if we're going to truly work out all that he has for us in our character, we're going to learn to love each other by being in his family. We're many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. So, little recap. He planned me for his pleasure. He formed me for his family. And he intends for me to become like Christ. That's the third fact. He intends for me to eventually become like Christ. Notice that it doesn't say to be little gods or to be another Christ. He's the only Christ. None of us will ever get to him. He's preeminent in all things, but we can be like Christ. We're often concerned about what we do. That's what the world tells us. That's how we measure success. It's what you do. What does your career look like? What things have you done that you can brag about? God is far more interested in who we are. Another way that one guy, I think it was Henry Blackaby used to say it, he would say, being comes before doing. And in God's economy, that's true. He's far more interested in who we are becoming than in what we do. Then whatever we bring in terms of our character into what we're doing, then God can use that in profound ways. But he's far more interested in character than in what we're doing and accomplishing. For from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, and all along he knew who would, should become like his son. And so those of us who say, yes, I choose to accept his grace. I want to walk in step with Jesus Christ. I want him to transform me. We'll become like his son. And fortunately, we don't have to do it all by ourselves. So how does this happen? Well, it's a lifelong process called discipleship. You know, we can't get it from a self-help book. You can find it in the owner's manual. And it's going to be a lifetime process to get there because none of us are going to be completely satisfied with being just like Christ until he completes the process when Christ comes again or we die and we stand before him. Then it's going to be completed finally. It's called discipleship. First purpose, know and love God. We translate that to the word worship. Second purpose, love other people. That's called fellowship. That's what we're learning to do with one another, so then we can translate that outside the church. Third purpose, become like Christ. We call that discipleship. So those are the first three purposes. Are you tracking with me so far? Good for you. All right. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Who is the power plant helping this happen? Spirit of God Himself. He gifts us with himself so that every believer, when we take that step of faith and we say, God, I accept you. I want to to become in Christ, not just for Christ, doing things for him, but in Christ, then he indwells us as well. I've mentioned it before. It's kind of like oxygen. I've got oxygen all around me right now. So do you. Can you see it? No. Can you breathe it? Yeah. What happens when you breathe in? Now you've got oxygen inside of you and it's all around you. That's what it's like to be like in Christ. He's all around us, and he's at work all around us always, but he can also be in us, helping us with this transformation process. God uses every experience. This is good news for guys like me who mess up a lot. I'm so glad that he's so patient. He can use every experience to help in this transformation process. Trials, temptations, triumphs, he uses all of that. I don't like trials that I have to go through, But when I look back at them, I can see, oh, wow, 
God really used that trial to draw me closer to himself. I trusted him more after that trial. I prayed more while I was in the trial. I read my Bible more. I was looking into his word. I relied on other people in the body of Christ more when I was in that trial. So he uses trials. He works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And temptations. There's only two choices in a temptation, and both can be used to help this transformation process. One choice is you make the right choice. You're tempted, but then the Spirit says, eh, eh, eh. This is a temptation, but you can overcome it. And so you say, I'm not going to go to that temptation. I'm going over here. And God says, yay, you passed another test, and you've grown in your faith. You're being transformed. But what happens if we make the other choice and we give in to that temptation? Then we learn that God is gracious enough to chastise those he loves and to pick us back up again, forgive us, dust us off, and say, now go and sin no more. It's still a part of the transformation process. And some of us keep slipping back into these little sins. Some slip bigger than others. Some slip in different areas than others. But we all slip. And we all have to get forgiven. We all have to get dusted off. We all have to keep going in our transformation process. Is there anybody here who has gotten all the way through and you're completely sinless yet? Okay, because I wanted to talk to you afterwards if you, if you did. I'm kind of grateful that I don't fall in that category too because I'm, I'm with good company here, it sounds like. Woo! All right. The triumphs. What happens when we triumph? We have a lot of people to triumph with us, and we get somebody to praise and thank for it. There have been times when things have gone right. Sometimes things actually go right in life. And when they go right, I can't imagine with somebody who doesn't know God what they do with that. Maybe a slight moment of elation, but man, I want to thank the person who's made it so. And so it gives me somebody to praise, and I think, God, you made this one go right. All the praise goes to him. Our number three purpose then, to grow spiritually. That's this transformation process. Our number three purpose is to grow spiritually. He who began a good work in you will do what? Carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Man, that's good news. So, recap. God planned me for his pleasure. God formed me for his. God intends for me to become like. And God shaped me to serve him. This is the fourth fact. We talked about that this last four weeks, all about the shape series. You shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. And by inside and out, he doesn't mean inside the mother's womb and out. He means literally inside, mind, spirit, everything, as well as physical. He did all of that. God shaped me inside, and he designed me. And I love the terms for that because it's a creative process, like an artist at work. Each one of you is a work of art touched by the master. This quote is from a guy who was my mentor back in Phoenix, Gary Young, Dr. Gary. He was teaching some of this kind of material one time on a retreat up in Prescott, Arizona. And he said it was one of those parenthetical statements that you throw in there that's not really in your notes, but it kind of came to his mind and he, he threw it in there. And he said, now some of you, you might have been a surprise to your parents, but you were no surprise to God. Because he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knew you and cared enough about you to create you a certain way because he loves you that much. And he said after that session, a lady came up to him and she was older. I'm saying like late 50s, early 60s. I mean, that's old. She was like my age. And she came up to Pastor Gary with tears in her eyes. And she said, Pastor Gary, you just undid me back then. 
And he says, what, what did I say? She goes, no, it was a good thing. When you said that we were no surprise to God, she said, I've lived with that weight thinking that I was a mistake my whole life. I had one of my parents tell me, you are an unwanted child. And I've lived with that weight all my life. And for you to say that I was no surprise to God and he loved me enough to create me in a special way, wow, that's news to me. God loves every one of you that way. And if you, by any chance, have wrestled with feelings about how you matter or how you relate to people, I just want you to let that sink in a minute. God loves you. You are no surprise to him, and he created you for a purpose. God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. So he's made us so that we can live out these purposes that he's given us to live out. Our number four purpose, the word that we can use for that, that's a good biblical word, is ministry. These good works that we're doing, it's called ministry. Now, all of you are ministers. And every time you're exercising your spiritual gifts to do good works for the Lord, you are ministering because you're ministering agents of reconciliation as we are all called according to the Apostle Paul. Another way to work out our fourth purpose, to serve God by serving others. And sometimes that means serving people who are undeserving, or at least we might think they're undeserving. Man, it's hard to serve those undeserving folks. There are times when on mission trips, you'll be around people that are just unpleasant. And sometimes they're belligerent. And sometimes they might smell kind of bad. And sometimes they might be antagonistic toward what you're trying to do to share Christ with them. And yet, We're supposed to serve other people because God says, if you've done it to the least of these, my little ones, you've done it unto me. I read about a lady in a subway car in New York City, saw a guy wielding a gun and everybody was scattering, trying to look for someplace to hide, hard to hide on a subway car. But this one African-American woman said, I just figured this is somebody who needs to be loved. And she said, God, fill me with your love and help me pour my love out on this fella. Now, everybody else is running away from this guy, and she walks up to him and tries to just show him love. And she said, what's going on in your life right now? Can I pray for you? And she starts loving this man and says, I think what you need is a hug. And she hugged this guy until he just melted, and he stopped being belligerent, and he put the gun down. Who does that? Most of us would have been ducking for cover or looking for an exit as soon as the car would stop. But this lady said, no, I'm going to look for a way to serve God by serving others, and I'm going to be as much love to this guy as I can be. And it disarmed the situation. There's something powerful about serving other people, and as we do so, we serve God. God planned me for his pleasure. God formed me for his family. God intends for me to become like Christ. God shaped me to serve him and sometimes we serve others and in so doing we serve him and then fifthly God made me for a a mission in the same way that you the father who's speaking here Jesus Christ he's doing a prayer in the same way that you father gave me a mission in the world I give them a mission in the world who is the them my followers those who are in his family he's giving us a mission just like Jesus had a mission tough question How are you going to answer God when you stand before him? And he says, so how did you spend the spiritual gifts and the heart and the abilities and the personality and the experiences that I gave you? How did you spend that? How are you going to answer him? Will you say, well, 
I made a lot of money, and then I retired, and I played golf a lot, and then I came to heaven. Or to say, well, I watched an awful lot of TV, and I, I could recite every single one. I could sing every single one of the 1970s TV theme, TV openers. I'm like a savant when it comes to TV music. You know, that all just sounds like it, it sort of falls to the wayside. Not that knowing a few of those songs is wrong. But if that's all you're giving your life to are the things that this world throws at us thinking that that's important. I got really good at video games. I got really good at going to parties. I got really good at feeling good and, and chasing the moments that made me feel good. You know, that's just going to fall short. How are we going to answer God? If we said, well, God, you shaped me, and I tried as best I could to be transformed into your image, but it's really only because of what Christ did for me that I'm here in the first place. But I just tried to give myself away in service to other people using what you've given me to do. He'll say, good and faithful servant, come on in here and share in my glory. Life is worth nothing, nothing, unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. It says in the book of Acts. Now, all of you are on mission fields every day of your life. And some of the things that you do to serve other people might not look real super holy and spiritual, and you're not quoting scripture verses to people. That's okay. God's going to use you wherever he places you to be that light in a dark world. And when there are opportunities for some spiritual conversations, great. Go through that open door. But understand that he's going to use your shape in some ways to become light in a dark world regardless of whether there's that, quote, spiritual conversation or not. But use what God has given you in a way that people can clearly see that something is different about that person. Open your eyes, he says, and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. This is the verse that I alluded to in that very first praise song that we sang. Run to him. I uh, looked back at, goodness, two, three years ago when I preached about the discovery, quote, discovery of oxygen from this one fellow who was trying to figure out what that was about. I think his name was Joseph Priestley. And he was trying to figure out the components of this air that we breathe, and he called it deflogisticated air. <laughs> and I tried to look it up, and I said, what is deflogisticated air? Define that. And I looked it up in Google, and it says, it's air without phlogistication. Oh, well, that clarifies it for me, clears it right up. It was kind of a made-up word. I don't think Priestley knew what it was. He was trying to come up with some chemical phrase. Now it says that it's an uh, obsolete word that's no longer used. He wasn't really discovering or inventing anything new. He was just trying to put words to something that he was starting to become aware of. That's kind of what happens when people awaken to what God has in store for them. We're not discovering God. We don't find God. God has always been there. We're just awakened to him. And the Bible is saying that for all of us, God has been relentlessly trying to show himself to us in ways that if we just open our eyes, it would cause us to see how good he is and we would run to him. And those who run to him are never dissatisfied because all of a sudden we realize, oh, he invites me into this body of Christ, into his family, and he gives me all these purposes in life. Every single one of the five we've talked about. When we find God, we don't discover anything new. Our eyes are simply open to what already is. It makes no difference who you are 
where you're from, if you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. And I would just ask, have you opened that door to Christ and said, Jesus, I want a life filled with purpose like that. Would you bow your heads for just a moment and let me pray this prayer? It may be that some of you are wanting Christ to really pour his purposes into your life more than you've ever seen it before. Some of you have been walking with him for a long time, but it's still okay for you to say, God, I want my life to be purposeful in the time I have left on this earth. So let me just pray this prayer. And if you want to pray this prayer too, you can just say it silently and he'll know, he'll hear. Let me pray this. You can pray something like, Dear God, I realize that you made everything on purpose and for a purpose. I also realize that you created me for a purpose as well. I don't want to miss out on my purpose. I don't want to waste my life being disconnected from you. I want to become the person you designed me to be. I want to follow your plan for me. I want to experience you more fully, to be in true communion, true relationship with you. And since you made me for a relationship with you, I want to get to know you better and better and trust you more and more. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sin, making it possible for me to reconnect with you. Help me to understand that more fully. Help me to learn to love you back because clearly I could never pay you back. Help me to become an active part of your family so I can learn to love others. Help me to use my shape so I can learn to serve others, even the undeserving. Help me to grow to be more like Jesus with your Holy Spirit's power making that possible. Help me to share this good news about your love and the purpose that you have for all of us with others so that I can continue to fulfill my life's mission on earth. I invite you into every area of my life, Lord. Amen.